Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. We have the season opener just a few days away. A special guest with us, I'll introduce him in just a moment. You should recognize his face already, but we'll introduce him in just a moment. It's Nets and Cavs coming up shortly. We got a preview and a breakdown of opening night on Network 216. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. It's Ian Eagle. You know him for his signature catchphrases in the basketball world. You know him for saying rack attack and oh, yeah, among many. Ian, a pleasure to get back uh, back on the air with you and uh, appreciate taking some time before the home opener to talk some, talk some NBA. Yeah, great to be with you, Zach. Obviously, exciting time with the NBA getting underway. It feels like the anticipation has been building the league, as we know, is maybe the best across all sports in scuttlebutt and conversation. And now it's time to actually do it. We can speculate. We can predict. But now we get to actually watch the games and see how things unfold. And for the Cavs and for the Nets, that is going to be on October the 25th. Last year's games featured an Isaac Okoro game winner in the third and final meeting. The meeting after this first one is going to be happening in Paris, which will be cool for both sides. Now, do you get to go to Paris? Will you be will you be covering that game in Paris? I will not be going to Paris. I may be covering the game, but not traveling to Paris, no. Okay, so no, no big baguette this year, but that's okay. Okay, and then Ben Simmons expected to come back. You have the Nets adding Lonnie Walker, Harry Giles, and Dennis Smith. On the Cleveland side, Max Struess, George Niang, Ty Jerome, three guys that should help with three-point shooting. They bring championship pedigree with the return of Tristan Thompson. They had Damian Jones, perhaps a guy who I'm sure you've seen his highlights circulate of late, Ayn, and Imani Bates, who was picked at 49, but seems to be having a very successful preseason. Yeah, with rookies, you don't know until you get into the throes of it. First of all, you don't know if he's going to be a rotation player. Uh, he might be someone that sits back and watches for a little bit. It's also based on the team's needs. If they're lacking an offense and they need a little jolt and a little juice, then you might see someone young get a chance. If their offense isn't the issue, uh, then I'm not sure Imani Bates is going to be someone that's going to be a candidate for NBA style of defense quite yet at this stage of his career. I've learned even covering the Nets teams through the years and most recently with Sean Marks, who has been very good in the draft, just because someone isn't playing right away doesn't mean there isn't a role for them down the road. Nick Claxton didn't see a whole lot of time his rookie year, but the next few years you saw that role increase you saw his dedication in the weight room, and you also saw his confidence go up. This is something that has to be recognized in the NBA. Don't make assumptions based solely on a small body of work. The NBA is all about finding your role and then putting in the time and the energy to prove to the coaches and to management that you deserve a chance on the team. So, with Bates, certainly the scoring profile is there. You know, whether or not he gets that chance early, that remains to be seen. And then, of course, for the Nets, you have Dayron Sharp. You know, Nick Claxton had that third-year breakout. Sharp's the guy who we did see as the Nets fluctuated up and down in the standings on the roster throughout the season. 
Certainly excited to see what that backup center rotation looks like, right? So we got the return of Harry Giles to the NBA, which I'm personally very excited about. You got Dayron. You also bring in Darius Baisley, who may not have been as highly sought out because he didn't see the court much after uh, heading to the Suns. But I, I think that Nets team, I you also had Lonnie Walker. You had Dennis Smith to the backcourt and Ben Simmons coming back. And again, you never know till it's, it's regulation. But I think it's going to be fun seeing the Nets in Brooklyn this year. You know, it's really interesting being around this for as long as I have now. Uh, you find tendencies with certain executives. Sean Marks ha has been an outstanding talent evaluator. I remember having a conversation with him prior to the 2019 draft, and I happened to ask him about Darius Baisley. If you remember Baisley's background, looked like he was going to Syracuse. He had signed the letter of intent. He was ready to go and then got an offer to take part in something completely different, which was basically sit out a year and prepare for the draft. He got paid by a sneaker company to just prepare for the draft. And with that, got drafted and made the NBA, ended up being the 23rd pick that year. Marks loved him, loved him. It didn't work out for the Nets that year, but here we are four years later, and GMs in this league, if they have a strong opinion about a player, that opinion doesn't just fade away into the ether. It sticks with them. And when he had a chance to go out and get him, he's one of these guys that's on a show it contract. You mentioned the other names. Dennis Smith is basically on the same deal right now. Lonnie Walker, same deal. Trendon Watford, same deal. Harry Giles is just happy to be in the NBA, happy to get a chance to play in this league. The Nets have a lot of those stories, guys, that if they have the kind of years that they personally expect to have and what the team expects of them, they'll have a chance to be in the mix in the playoff race. If they don't, then we might be having a conversation around the trade deadline with the Nets looking to make some moves in regards to their future. So that's how tenuous it is in the league. Cleveland, great example of a team that, built through the draft, a couple of deals here and there, obviously made some splashes in free agency this past year. You mentioned the new names, experience, some of them championship experience or championship level experience. And now you see how the whole situation comes together. Uh, the Cavaliers are a really intriguing team. And one that I think people are curious to see if they're ready to take that next step collectively together to be a real factor in the top four in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it's certainly going to be fun. Whereas you mentioned the Nets have all these guys with stories. The Cavs do add the guys with, uh, with different backgrounds. Damian Jones, normally on the contenders, was on the resurgent Kings last year. Tristan Thompson got him with the Lakers just at the right time to still kind of get back in the flow and get that playoff experience. Struess was just in the finals. George Niang has the most regular season and playoff win combined of any player over the last four years. And it's it's certainly going to be fun. You know, and we, we highlight this first game, you know, Cavs and Nets. Always been for me, you know, being the Cavs fan that's in Jersey. I've, I've seen you a couple times at these games. It's always when they get together. That's my favorite matchup. I've been watching Cavs-Nets either in Jersey or Brooklyn probably since I was in the second or the third grade. This has always <laughs> been a game that's 
that's had excitement back in the Nanded Christich years when he was the Nets starting center. You know, you still you got the Lucius Harris when he was still on the Nets. And then Lucius Harris briefly when he was on the Cavs. You know, we got both sides of that. But we could reminisce and sit here all day. But we look at the matchup, Ian, and of course – the Nets uh, probably going to be led by Mikhail Bridges as far as scoring goes, at least from what we saw end of last season. They've got Cam Johnson coming off a nice showing over the summer. Dinwiddie back in the fold. Ben Simmons back in the fold. Clack's going to try and prove some naysayers after feeling like he was snubbed from the awards, given where he was pre and post deadline. So what are the key positional matchups that you're most excited to watch that you think could have an impact on who wins opening night? The player the Nets have had the most problems with individually has been Darius Garland. They have not shown any signs of stopping him. He's had great performances against the Nets. He has looked every bit the all-star that he is against Brooklyn. And I think the scouting report starts with him. Uh, Even though Donovan Mitchell is a tremendous all-around player, he's coming back to his home area, the New York area, we'll say, mm-hmm. qualifies for Mitchell, who has New York roots, Connecticut roots as well. I think it it starts with, with Darius Garland. Uh, his style of play, his command on the floor, is it a little different this year because Ben Simmons is now back in the mix? 100%. Uh, ben is a game changer for the Nets. If he is anything close to the Simmons that we saw as an all-star with the Philadelphia 76ers, then that changes this Nets team. The fact that he is switchable one through five as a defender, one of the better defenders in the NBA uh, during his run in Philly. I think the concerns will be backcourt based. I think the concerns big picture for the Nets will be depth in the front court and rebounding in general. That seems to be, to me, a potential weakness for this Nets team. Maybe it doesn't play out that way and there's gang rebounding, but the plan right now is for Cam Johnson to play the four, Mikel Bridges to play the three, Claxton at the five, and then substitutions, maybe small ball with Dorian Finney-Smith, sometimes playing the five. You mentioned Dayron Sharp. We've got to see if he can bring it consistently and and be someone that they can lean on in that department. Certainly a physical presence, but it's about consistency now at this point and whether or not you're getting what you need on a day-to-day basis, not just flashes of it. So uh, those would be the keys to me. Ultimately, where Evan Mobley fits in and whether the Nets can contain him, uh, he's someone that is expected to have another step in his development. And, you know, I'm sure there are Cavaliers enthusiasts that believe this is the time where he should be an all-star. So if the timing is exactly right, then that's going to be a serious concern for Brooklyn. And on Darius Garland, funny you mention him first. So the Cavs are actually 0-4 against the Nets when he scores more than 22. So perhaps if they do... If, they, if he goes off, I mean, perhaps it favors the Nets. Obviously, every game is a different sample size, and you really never know with numbers. But and, and if Evan Mobley makes that leap this year, he'd be the fourth member of the core to make at least one All-Star game within the past three seasons, which would certainly 
uh, make them formidable. And I think for Nick Claxton, he might take this matchup personally because he may feel he deserved Evan's spot as one of the three finalists for uh, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, But I, I look at this, and I think that both teams are going to be relying on the three, especially in the debuts of Struess and Niang. We probably get a little bit of Ty Jerome in it. You probably see both teams go 11 or 12 deep on opening night as they welcome some guys back. Maybe you'll get a, a quick Giles appearance. You know, the Nets have a number of new players and not enough roster spots. They're trying to figure it out. And on the Cleveland side, uh, with Rubio out, you don't know who gets the ninth and maybe even 10th spot between Dean Wade, Jones, Thompson, if they decide to go to Sam Merrill. So a lot of options both ways. So I think with all that said, for me, it's going to be which team's leading scorer can close it out. Because we saw, Ian, and you saw this firsthand, so many times Mikhail Bridges just would come in and fill it up in a way that we really probably wouldn't have seen him do since high school. Maybe not even then when he's scoring 15, 20 straight at times. And for the Cavs, when Donovan Mitchell really locks in, we saw him had a 55-point a half against Chicago in scoring 71. So I think whichever team's top score, whoever it ends up being that night, you know, it could end up being Cam. It could even it could be Dimwitty. It could be Cam Thomas. And on the other side, it could be Darius. It could be Donovan. Maybe Struess gets hot. Maybe Mobley, who had 30-point games, does it. Whichever team star score can, can lead in the fourth, I think that's the way it's going to end opening night because the game shifts in the last five or six minutes to who can score more points, not who can get the stop. Who can score? Who are you going to give it to to get your buckets? Whoever has that, I think, is going to be the one that walks away successful and one to know. Don't disagree, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a question in there, yeah, so I'll yeah, nod to your long statement long. and we'll move on to the next one. Yeah, we're pulling the Castellanos thing, all that, and forgot to ask the question. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the Nets and a little bit, a little bit about the Cavs. So last season was up and down. There was the insane winning streak. You had KD and Kyrie. Then things shifted, and it became Mikhail, and it became Spencer, and then it became Cam Thomas. Do you have a favorite Nets memory uh, from the roller coaster of last season? Well, I think that's part of the reason why it's it's hard to take the statistics from the last couple of years in regards to Garland going against the Nets and apply them to what's going to happen this season because it's a completely different team. It's a completely different matchup. No Kyrie Irving, no Kevin Durant, obviously. The roster has been overhauled. And with that, it's a new iteration of this team. So... Last year would be segmented into really three different phases. The early phase of the season was, is this team even going to stay together? Because Durant had requested a trade. And uh, ultimately, we know that the trade was confirmed, but it was based on the second phase of the season, which was the Nets having a lot of success. But then it was determined that Kyrie was not going to get the extension that he wanted. So he wanted out. And once he wanted out, KD wanted out. And then we went into the third phase of the season, which were the new faces and the new vibe. And that's been the carryover into this season. So favorite part of the year was just watching Mikel Bridges mature and become uh, a, a potential all-star. He's on the precipice of taking that next step as an individual player in this league he is uh, very likable on a personal level, and then he's likable for what he brings 
to the floor. He's versatile. Uh, he is durable. He plays every game. He's defensively committed and offensively. I give him a lot of credit. He's worked on his skills. He's become a better jump shooter. He's become a better driver. He's become a better ball handler. He's become a better passer. He's become a better facilitator. This is what you want to see when you draft a player. Philly drafted him, should have kept him. We know, traded him to Phoenix. And we saw improvement every year. So if you're following along that trend line, you would expect to see Mikel Bridges continue to improve. But this is certainly the most responsibility that he's going to have over the course of his NBA career, this year in particular. They've basically said, we're building the team around you. He was a piece prior. So how that changes things remains to be seen, but it's a great position to be in if you're Mikel Bridges. Yeah, when you have a chance to learn from Devin Booker and Chris Paul being your, your one and two, it certainly well, it means that when you break away from them, as we've seen so many guys do on these loaded teams, go and do their own thing. You can be great as the number one if you were good as the number three or four. They give you the chance. They believe you show it a couple times, and that's life in basketball. And then on the, on the Nets-Cavs front, I know there have been some – Wild games between these teams through the years. There have been playoff battles uh, through the years. Do you have a favorite Cavs-Nets memory that you've been on the call for? I know there's many, many. You do this for every team. It's like, dang, I've called a lot. But Nets-Cavs memory? Yeah, I mean, this is my 30th year doing Nets games. So you could imagine there are a lot of memories swirling about my, my head. Uh, I think I enjoyed – the competitiveness of that Cavs team when I was just starting out and Mike Fratello was coaching the team it was not the most exciting, high-powered Cleveland team, but the czar, again, personal friend, personal connection, the czar did a lot with that squad. And I just liked the way that, that he strategized and his, his tact in how to win games. He just figured out ways to win. Uh, that that group, he loved Ilgauskas and Derek Anderson, and you can go on and on, that that particular Cleveland team, um, Vitaly Potapenko. I just liked – I liked going in there and doing games. The arena was new at that point. Everything was brand spanking new. Yeah, they met in the playoffs. Um, you know, they're – I think it was a 4-2 Cleveland win, if I remember correctly, yeah. that year in the postseason. Yeah, good matchups, good battles, but uh, nothing specific. I just – I think that arena, when it gets cranking, and if you're the road team and you can send those fans home in a little bit of disbelief, which has happened over time that I remember, Damari Carroll was involved in a wild comeback – that uh, I can recall from a couple of years ago, uh, there there is a certain visceral feeling that happens when fans are dispersing towards the exits after a loss. And with the Nets, it happened to be a win. But great to see Karis LeVert in the mix as well. And he was just a terrific guy to deal with, class act, give him a lot of credit for what he's done in his career and, and the fact that he's still a part of of this thing is is really nice oh for sure as soon as he got to indiana is when he had the scan they they found uh it was on his kidney 
where they found the, uh, the cancerous tumor where they were able to, to pull that out, which was great. And yeah, that, the game you're mentioning, I hadn't thought about that one in a while. I remember where I was when I was watching. That was when Marquise Chris had the poster on Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. Sean Kilpatrick going absolutely crazy. And then you had four or five guys that fouled out. I just remember I had plans after and the game just would not end. And uh, that was that was something. Obviously a tough loss on the uh, from the Cavs side, but that's a great Nets victory. But been cool having Karras and Jared Allen in Cleveland after watching them come Big time. On, uh, with Brooklyn. I'm, I always love when you – are we going to get a throwdown call? I know he's with the Cavs, <laughs> but do we see uh, throwdowns from you? Yeah, I don't, I don't plan them. So if yeah. the game goes in that way, then I'm certainly going to be ready to do it. I think – uh, there are Nets fans that will always have a, a soft spot in their heart for Jared Allen, for the fro, uh, for how he conducted himself, how he carried himself as a member of the Nets, how he developed as a player. Uh, nothing but good vibes in regards to, to Jared. Great guy, uh, terrific competitor, and what you want in an NBA player, a guy that commits himself, that takes it seriously, that uh, improves in in every facet of what he's doing, and you know the fro caught my attention. It was hard not to see it. So that was a a pretty simple nickname back in the day when the Nets were just looking for some credibility. It's hard to believe he's in his seventh year in the NBA at this stage. That just shows you how quickly time flies by when you get into NBA years. It's like dog years. You know what's amazing, too, is I feel like his afro has been the same height for his entire career. Whoever styles it, whoever t- maybe it's him, whoever he uses, I swear it hasn't grown an inch in his entire career. If I remember correctly, Zach, I think his dad was the one that would shave it down. So if he hadn't seen his dad for a while, then it would really get large. I'm going to say without any background knowledge, he has probably taken it to a professional level at this point. And now that. It matter. Yeah. Whoever's whoever's touching that up is facing a lot of pressure because that's going to be seen by millions over the course of any given week. You do a bad job. You do a good job. You got opposing players who might might want to. You always got new players coming in with throws. They they might want help. They might say, "Hey, Jared, who do you use? They'll come to Cleveland and they'll get the hookup." But as we as we start to wrap up here, Ian, a couple more things. Um, talked about your favorite Nets Cavs calls. There a favorite Cavs call specifically that you've had? Or you just you remember it fondly. Whether it's a crazy moment, maybe it's just how you called the play. Or it doesn't have to be Nets related on this one. Just something Cleveland where you say, you look back and you're like, okay, wow. (laughs) I mean, I would say the most memorable one was 2018, game five, first round. It was the Cavs and the Pacers and LeBron blocks Oladipo, timeout. LeBron hits a three, game over. Cavs win the series four games to two. That series could have gone the other way. Indiana was a quality team. They seemed to have the Cavaliers number for some reason. They matched up well with them that year. And, um, you know, as we know, uh, Cleveland was missing a little something at that stage. They weren't quite the championship team anymore. But 
Uh, they were still a good team, and that place was rocking that night. LeBron hits the game winner, jumps up on the scorer's table. The king reigns supreme. I was doing the game on Turner with Brent Barry. Probably the most memorable of the Cavaliers games that I've done through the years, but you know, I've, I've had a bunch of them. I had a uh, previous playoff game against Washington on NBA TV when LeBron and Gilbert Arenas were going head-to-head, and that one stands out as, uh, again, an incredible scene. And LeBron, that was early LeBron, where he was still uh, making his way around the league and uh, validating where he was going to one day fit in and the pantheon of of all-time players. And Gilbert, as we know, did not back down from a challenge, was – a very confident player, rightfully so. He was a very talented player, but a lot of jawing, a lot of talking. It seemed to seemed to stimulate both of them. So fun memories there. I I've always enjoyed doing games there from from the day that arena was built. I, I have always put that among the the better basketball arenas. Good sound quality. Uh, the fans are into it. It it's a real sense of ambiance and it's a good assignment it, it always has been and the cool part of that is it kind of stays with you in a sense because olivier cedra a number of years ago the old pa guy <laughs> the cast has now been with with you in brooklyn who i mean sean pebbles also very very good i've had him on a couple times but always love olivier's calls every time i Break go out. especially when when it's when it was Kyrie. Because it's very rare sometimes the PA announce you work for two teams, you get the same player in both places, and he brought the same intro yep. to Brooklyn. So anytime I'd see Kyrie in person, Irving, we, we, we've had that for years. So it's really cool to, that we got to see that again. We probably won't get it again unless he goes to Dallas, but hopefully not. Brooklyn, Brooklyn loves Olivier, of course. Um, but nonetheless, as we start to wrap up, that's the last topic we'll cover here, Ian. Nets and Cavs will be battling. We are recording this on October the 18th, folks. You will likely hear this on the 22nd. So you have a couple days to digest before. When all is said and done, obviously, we, we, set, we set things up. Here are the players that have to step up. Here's what might determine it. What's the final factor for you that will either separate the Nets from the Cavs or the Cavs from the Nets? And obviously, the first game never says too much about the 82-game season. But – What's that one factor that's going to indicate who's one and out and who's not? Well, I think the big topic of discussion this offseason for the Nets has been their defense. Uh, they know it's going to have to be a collaborative effort. Uh, we've seen a lot of drop coverage in the preseason. Whether or not that is the philosophy they stick with throughout the season remains to be seen. With Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton on the floor, the potential of switching is there. And now the question is whether or not they can truly implement it. It has not showed up consistently in the preseason. That's why you can't take the preseason and just apply it to what you're going to see in the regular season. But to me, that's, that's really the difference. Have the Nets taken a big leap defensively where that's something they can now expect game in and game out? I don't know how good an offensive team the Nets are going to be. Uh, they're an interesting offensive team, but Simmons isn't a shooter. Claxton isn't a shooter. Joe Harris is no longer with the squad, another former Cav. Yes. So you're asking 
Bridges, Johnson, Dinwiddie, O'Neal, Finney Smith, Thomas. You're asking them to score a lot and shoot at a high percentage. You look at their career numbers individually on on three-pointers. They're good. They're not great. The Nets don't have Harris. They don't have Curry. They don't have Durant. They don't have Kyrie. They don't have the three-point shooting they once had. So defense to me is going to be the key factor and whether or not the Nets are among the better defensive teams in the league. If they are, they have a chance to stick around in the Eastern Conference and, and maybe be a factor come playoff time. If they're not, if they have misforecast this, as to what their identity is going to be, then I think it's going to be a more challenging road than expected to be competitive in a pretty deep conference. And we'll certainly be exciting to see this matchup just now a week away. Of course, for your listening pleasure, it is two to three days away. But Ian, a pleasure to talk Nets Caps and wishing you a great broadcasting season in the NBA. And obviously, as you go through crossover season, for the next couple of months, you know, Thursdays, Sundays, sometimes Mondays, we hear you doing football on the other days of the week. Lucky to get you on the basketball mic, but a pleasure to uh, talk about the matchup and look ahead to it. It's going to be a wild season in the NBA. Yeah, my pleasure, Zach. Great to talk with you. Enjoy it. Uh, I know this is a, a really fun time of year for you, for all the fans out there. So buckle up. I think it's going to be a, a pretty wild ride. And the, the great part is we know about the league parody is real. Last five years, we've had five different NBA champions. And that says something. It says something about the league. I know there's a sense of the haves and the have nots, but there has been turnover at the top. And that's a, it's a pretty good sign for this league that uh, no doubt is really competitive and intriguing and a bunch of storylines. You know, the hope is that the play itself will reflect all of the chatter and it'll live up to it. Uh, that's, that's the goal. And to me, that's the fun part of getting the season started, really seeing where these teams fit in. Yes, indeed. All the hype, all the moves paying off for better or worse. But that is that for us here today on Across the Cavs. Ian Eagle. Zach Weiss, we'll see you next time on Across the Castle Network 216.